Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. And today I have the most special guest with me. It's my mom. We're recording on a Friday night on the couch under a blanket with my dog snoring next to us and probably with a kid that will wake up asking for grandma anytime now. So we're creating a really informal environment, but for a really important conversation. And I'm happy to have my mom here. Her name is Sharon. So mom, say hi. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And I should say that she's really nervous because she's like, well, what if I don't say the right thing? Like, well, that's not... We, we don't care. We just want to hear your story. I'm just going to ask you questions and I want you to answer it. And for the most part, I know a lot of her answers. So this all started with a post I shared about um, some Ziploc baggies and how to this day, it can be hard for me to want to throw them away because I remember as a kid, she used to ask my sister and I to bring them home from school and to be able to reuse them. And apparently that resonated with a lot of people because my mom was single, finances were really, really tight back then. And that was one of the things that we were just trying to be conservative with. And I was so embarrassed at the time, but now it really kind of helps shape perspective. And I know that that is something that many of you may or may not relate to, but that post really resonated and it totally broke your heart <laughs> to read, right? It did. it did. What did you feel like when you, when you read that? Well, I actually forgot all about it. It's like so many things kind of just get blocked from my memory. Maybe hard times just kind of get blocked like that. But the fact that you remembered it and then it made me remember it. And then I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know. It just just made me cry because I started thinking about how difficult it was being alone and raising you girls and pinching to get by. and that was just one of those little things that I just didn't even remember doing. And and it was weird that you remembered it. Yeah. I feel like that's, you know, something that, that probably happens a lot, but let's rewind a little bit for people that don't know, which is most everyone can't say that you and I are both super vocal about, you know, what the past 30 something years has looked like, but tell us just a little bit about yourself. like what (laughs) okay well let's okay rewind before you were a single mom what was your life like well oh boy you gotta make me talk about this (laughs) yeah well just a little bit well okay so I married very young too young probably about 21 and it was a fun marriage we were young and growing up together but he grew one way, I grew the other. He grew down the path of not such good things like drug use, which got worse and worse. Um, 
became a drug addict. Maybe he already was a drug addict. I, I don't really know because so much was hidden from me in that part of his life. He just would not come home. He would hide things. And it was a really awful, awful time in my life going through that. And And was that before Desiree and I were born or mostly just after, like when we were young kids? um, Yeah, mostly when after when you were born and it just went downhill at that point. Um, And then I stayed thinking I couldn't possibly leave. I couldn't possibly break up this family. I couldn't possibly make it on my own. How am I going to support these girls? I need to get out of this abusive relationship in, in the sense that, you know, this drug use and all the shenanigans that goes along with it because I didn't do any drugs and I really didn't drink. And so it was, I felt like I was on a sinking ship with him. He was just so opposite of what I wanted. And I did not want my life going that way. I did not want my girls being raised in that atmosphere. And so it took almost, I don't know, I would say, over 10 years to get up the courage to finally say enough is enough. Yeah. And what's, I guess what was weird for me is I had this association. I think that, you know, like I guess the older I got, the more it just became embarrassing or shamey feeling because you're like, well, I'm like a normal person and we don't live like in a bad neighborhood and we're not around like bad people, you know? And I think we often think of like drugs as almost like, well, that's only like criminals or something. Like you don't think of normal middle to upper class families dealing with that. And so when I was a kid in elementary school and middle school, I just remember feeling like this just feels embarrassing because I don't think any of my friends have any kind of family situation like this and why my family mm-hmm. and I'm sure you felt like that right. too because I, I was I it's like I was very selective about who I told what was really going on but I I felt that same shame because I felt like that oh well if he did this then they look at me like oh then I'm like that oh if I'm like that well then those kids might be like that which I remember and I don't I can't I remember it being said to me. I just don't know who said it to me, but someone said that children from a quote broken home, good luck with that. Good luck with raising those girls. And you'll be lucky if you get them through college, which as you know, the story behind my tattoo was (laughs) (laughs) once you guys both graduated college, that's when I got that tattoo because it, I really felt like I accomplished something so great by you two graduating college. The fact that you even went and that it all happened. And I was just super proud. Yeah. I can't believe anyone would really have the audacity to say that. But yeah, I just, I just remember feeling like it was, it was just embarrassing to be a normal family that kind of had it all for the first probably 10 years of my life. You know, we had mm-hmm. the boat, we had the motorhome, we had the really nice house, lived in a really nice area, just overall, I'd say pretty affluent in our situation. And then when we had all this 
nice stuff and like a good life on the outside. But then there was just like no eight-year-old should know what weed smells like or know like the signs of someone being high on meth. But we knew that at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and I know that this is like super cringy for you, but I also know that there's a lot of moms listening to this and people listening to this that have also lived with addiction. And it's helpful to hear that you're not crazy, you're not alone in almost like the spirals that you do trying to save somebody who's an addict, right? So I remember being kids and being woken up to go find my dad in a bar somewhere and like just like driving to try to find where he was and like seeing my mom like go in and try to find him or talk to somebody to see if they had seen him because that was back when there was pagers and trying to page him to come home and he wouldn't answer and like you didn't know if he was dead or if he wasn't going to come back and it was just but that, to, that's like how sick like even I was through it like right but you're, you're spiraling right right like that's one of my worst depths of despair of thinking that I actually stooped to do that and right but yeah. you do that like out of love and concern loving an addict is is a it is a roller coaster yeah. of of like thinking it's going to get better and then the despair of it not getting better and realizing it has nothing to, you can't change that person. You can't fix that person. That is a, you can do your best to support them, but that has to be their own agenda. Right. And that's kind of what kept me in the marriage for as long as I was. I was married almost what, 17 years. Right. And I kept thinking, oh, well, I can fix this. Oh, well, you know, look at these two cute little blonde girls, like, well, look, we've got this, we've got that. Um, why wouldn't he want to stay here? You know, why wouldn't he just stop? And I can fix this. He can go to a rehab and come back home and do the same thing again. And Yeah. And I remember Desiree, my sister and I would just like, we would try to convince him, like we would page him. We would try to say things like, basically, are we not good enough? Like pick us, choose us. And it just, it never happened. And that's such a hard thing for anybody who, if you love anybody with an addiction and it's not that they necessarily love the drugs or the alcohol more than they love their family. It's just, it's that powerful. Mm-hmm. It really is just so consuming. So we, our whole family learned a lot about addiction at a very young age. And I think I was maybe a little over 10 when you got, when you filed for divorce. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? No. that was probably uh, I'd say the scariest thing I think that even living through watching some of the things that he did with you know when he was strung out on meth like just filing for divorce was a whole new reality because now it's like they say shit gets real yeah like it really did like immediately like wait a minute now oh how am I going to do this well so my whole focus became all about what I could do to raise you and Desiree with everything that you were used to. So, and what was that going to take out of me to make sure that that happened? Because you know, the story that, you know, I didn't have any child support. And so it was a lot. (laughs) And you, and it's not like growing up, it was your income that was like some strong contributor, contributor to your life. It was mostly his and then yours would complement that. And now it just went down to your income, which was a huge shift in what our 
like budgeting and lifestyle would look mm-hmm. like. Right, right. So not just for us, but for you. Yeah. Like I remember you went without for so long. Like you would never buy yourself anything. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> and, and then it just required working a whole lot because I, as you know, I, I can tell everybody else, I was a medical transcriptionist. So back in the day they paid us, I was a subcontractor and they paid us per line produced. So essentially I would transcribe medical records all day long, all night long, weekends, because I could make as much as I wanted as long as I was working since it was piecework. So that's how I was able to give you all what I thought you needed. So, Right. And that was keeping us on a swim team. And then, uh, you know, as we got older, then it was like paying for club this or field trip that and just dresses here. Yeah. Just like (laughs) so many different things that I knew we just lived very lean for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that gave us both Desiree and I a lot of perspective that's carried over into our life now. So if you're somebody who feels, I don't know, I guess guilt or shame or fear that, you know, you're not doing enough or giving enough. I don't remember a childhood where I was resentful or felt like I was going without because I still got to stay involved in things that were really meaningful to me. And that was sports and one thing that you did really well was you were always forthcoming with my coaches throughout every stage of life. Like my as young, young swim team coach, I think we started swim team at like five, six mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And like those coaches always knew what was going on at home. And they were always loving and supportive of Desiree and I um, mm-hmm. and would check in and talk. And like, they just, they knew and it was a non-judgmental place. And I think a lot of coaches do have that in their heart to support kids even if it doesn't fit, I guess, a typical stereotype of, of uh, you know, some like troubled kid or troubled home. Like we didn't fit what's, I think, stereotypical. And so having that support from other adults was really meaningful. And that translated, I mean, through high school. Mm-hmm. So when you got divorced and we moved out of that really nice home sold everything like financial, just everything fell apart Mm -hmm. financially. We moved into a very small home and I remember the landlords just tried everything possible to really support you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did. They were, they were pretty good. They let us take the dog and the cats and, 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 but it, it took me crying and telling them, you know, that I really could make the rent and, Right. You know, please, please let us rent from you. And, and uh, right. because we came from such a beautiful home, they couldn't imagine that I would really stay in, in this home because it was an absolute dump filled with cockroaches. And yeah. <laughs> remember that in the garage, we'd oh, have yeah. to turn the light on and wait a minute so they scatter. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it was such a, such a shift. But I just, I, I don't ever remember feeling angry or resentful about that. Like it was just like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And I think kids are just so resilient. And that was even during like the shitty like preteen years where it was easy. I mean, I definitely had an attitude about lots of things, but I don't remember feeling like resentful or pissed off about moving. I just remember feeling like that is a hundred percent what we need to do. That's the right choice. And I didn't want them to be married anymore. Like it was not 
it was a toxic situation and I hated seeing my mom like that. I just, I, I absolutely hated it. And it made me probably turn into exactly who I was supposed to become because I was like, this is not right. And, you know, like you don't want to see somebody that you love get hurt and, and just kind of emotionally beat up. Well, and you remember, and I think that that did probably help you become the leader that you are today because being forced into the situation that I was in, I can remember saying to you and Desiree, like, don't you ever, ever <laughs> rely on a man to take care of you. You make something of yourself so that you can take care of yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that was instilled at a very young age to just be very self-sufficient and driven. And it wasn't a question of like, oh, maybe I'll go to college. It was like, no, you're absolutely going to college. We will figure it out because, you know, get your education. No one can take that away from you. Right be able to try to support yourself and the right man will fit into that equation. But we went from this really, you know, I guess affluent lifestyle to literally nothing and lived in that home for a long time, like pretty much all through, you know, middle school. And I think halfway through high school, we, we moved. And so you met Tom, uh, Mm -hmm. your now husband, my stepdad, when I was a teenager. How was that? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, he's a good man because yeah. <laughs> he he kind of uh he just supported me and stood by my side, told me from the get-go that he would not take on the role of quote father in the sense that, you know, he would be correcting you or um disciplining you guys at all, but you know, we just basically stand by my side because you know, as a social worker himself, he said, you know, they will grow up to resent me if I do this. And, you know, I think that he's a very quiet uh, individual. And it really wasn't what I wanted to hear at the time, because I so wanted to just tap out and say, you take over now, I'm done tag team. And that never, ever happened for me in my life of raising you and Desiree, because he, he refused to do it and just wanted to support support me but didn't want to get involved in that sense where you know he would yeah grow cross up any and, boundaries you know yeah so. yeah he's also an enneagram 9 for uh <laughs> any of you who know what that what that means but that gives you an idea of his personality but tom was always very kind and supportive and he was good to my mom he asked my permission to marry her and I knew that was really important. That's not to say that I did not really struggle. I think it was just hard to acclimate to a change with our dynamic. And it and because it was like my mom's sister and I were so tight. We had been through so much shit together. And, you know, now there's like adding a person to that dynamic. And that was just a really hard thing for me to acclimate to. So it was never like a personal I don't like him, because I did like him, but I didn't necessarily like the change. And it took me a very long time to not hold that against him, kind of like have this like chip on my shoulder. I also truly think that it was shitty timing of being a teenager. But it's also to your personality because it's yes. you and change, uh, change of anything of any kind is always yeah, really not the easiest. No, I have a really hard time with change. And so that was like a really big thing around like 14, 15 that I just was struggling a lot with that. And 
And Tom just stood by. And that is one thing that as I've, you know, as I grew older, I really respected that he was supportive of my mom. I never questioned that. I never questioned like if he would be good to her. And that's what I ultimately wanted was who was going to be kind to her, who was going to make her happy, who was going to like fill that role because she was doing so much by herself for so long. And now there was somebody to like, like help carry that load, even if it was just like an emotional support and financially too, like stepping in and just providing like Mm -hmm. not living so paycheck to paycheck, like just an extra cushion. And so like, I know that was a relief, even though not much of our lifestyle changed, it just like almost like the stress shifted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And, and Tom is, you know, to this day, he's still really supportive and involved and Cheers, Desiree and I on, and my mom, and all of all of our girl drama that we have. God, that's <laughs> um, yeah, definitely a special man to step in when there was a 13, 14 year old, and Desiree's like ten, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good times for those of you raising maybe older teenage girls. So, mom, did you like? What did you do for uh, self care during these hard years of your maybe your thirties and your forties? Was there self care? No, <laughs> no, I didn't think so. No, it's this what cracks me up about. That's all over social media. Oh, self care. This I'm like, I don't even know what that was. Like, I was just so busy with just trying to get through life. Like, right. I took a back burner big time on everything in life. So that's why I love everything about life now because I get to do so much. Right. So your life really changed, like literally did a 360 as soon as Desiree and I moved out of the house. Like we went to college and it was like once, like I went to college, but you still had Desiree home for a couple of years. And then when Desiree went to college, she was like, I think I'm going to start going to LA fitness, like yeah. a, like a corporate, you know, like yeah. global gym or whatever. And she'd like do some classes and then she would like get on the machines. What, like No, I didn't get on the machine. Like well, the, the treadmill. Yeah. Cause I didn't treadmill. know what to do with anything else. So I just would run on the treadmill. Yeah. She would just kind of like go to the gym a little bit. And then uh, Jared, who was my boyfriend at the time, my now husband did a triathlon. And then she was like, I wonder if I could do a triathlon. No, no. He said, you no. can do it with me. You're already running. You're already, oh yeah, you know, swimming. Yeah, you can do it. And so here I do a triathlon with your boyfriend yeah. <laughs> for the first time. Like, How old were you? Like, oh, I must have been 50. Yeah. No, was I 50? I no, you were younger been. than that. Well, I've been married that 10 much. years. Well, I'm 62. <laughs> if you've been married 10 years, that was 52. So it probably was yeah, 50 because so, I started CrossFit like at 53. Yeah. So she uh, she didn't really start doing anything active and fitness related until 50-ish. And it started with that triathlon and that encouragement from Jared. And then I started doing CrossFit in 2009-ish, 2009. And she just like couldn't understand what I was doing in the barbell. Even though my whole undergraduate stuff was like, in kinesiology, like exercise science, and like you know, I played collegiate sports. Like it, she, she just didn't have a concept of like how you could lift, like deadlift. It just, I remember it blowing her mind. And then she was kind of like, well, "I wonder if I could do that." She says stuff like that. Just I you know. don't think I said that because 
I think you said, mom, you've got to stop going and, and using those stupid pink dumbbells. Well, probably did say that. And yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. I think that is probably how it started. It was like, you were asking questions and I was like, well, you should do it because of osteoporosis. Yeah. So she thought about starting CrossFit because she thought that I mean, maybe there was some truth to that. So I called three or four different CrossFits in her town, in the city that we lived in, just to like vet them. I wanted to know if they would treat my 50-something-year-old mom well. Would they be welcoming? Who gave me the best vibe? And I was able to connect her with a gym at the time that was so stoked to have, like, to have her come try a class. And, but she was like, too, like, again, she was too afraid to even call. So I wasn't <laughs> sure if she was actually going to show up, but she did. And what was your, do you remember what your first class or those first weeks were like? Well, uh, I remember they did like a, a sample type of workout. So, you know, doing, push-ups and sit-ups and row and yeah. that kind of thing. But my, my first workouts, I basically was using a PVC pipe. And, you know, I had, like I said, never used a barbell before. So I started out with the PVC pipe and then maybe went to the 15-pound bar and, you know, just started participating. Like everything was modified. But I kept showing up because they assured me that they could modify it for me. Right. And she's like, she's really anxious, but then she's also really enthusiastic. And so when she had like the coaches and everyone just like being really genuinely supportive, I think that it was like, that was the culture of CrossFit, especially it was like so pure back then. Like everyone was just genuinely supportive of having her there. And I think it was that that kept you coming back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, you know, being older, there wasn't anybody... And still, it's not not even as common to at my age to have anybody in CrossFit. But back then, it's like really strange to have somebody my age. But everyone treated me just like I was their age and welcomed me in. And so I never felt like, oh, this is not a place for an old person. Right. So she was working out with people that were basically her kid's age. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and still am. <laughs> yeah, and you still are. And and she and she fell in love with it. I remember when you did your first bodyweight deadlift, you like couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like 115 pounds. She's like this tiny little lady, for those of you who haven't actually like seen a picture of her. And somehow Desiree and I are like not. But <laughs> um, she yeah, so I remember when she deadlifted her like first like hundred her first bodyweight deadlift and she just like could not fathom that that actually happened, that she was strong enough to do that. And that just like really, I feel like CrossFit for you and lifting just opened up this door of almost like confidence and willingness to just like literally try anything active. Mm -hmm. Whereas you never did anything like that growing up. Like you weren't active, you weren't fit, you were just like, thin from anxiety Mm -hmm, and thin from like, like just not even being able to take care of yourself. Like you're a small human, but like you were a small human because you weren't healthy. Right. Exactly. You weren't Mm -hmm. like mentally or emotionally have you're trying to like survive. So you were like stress thin. And even still, she's the kind of person who, when she's like overwhelmed or stressed out with some life shit, she like, she just can't even bring herself to eat and will lose weight. So that's, 
sort of like her health and fitness and I guess background context and stuff like that. And so CrossFit was a really great, almost like it was a really great, you know, it opened a lot of doors for her willingness to say, I don't care how old I am. I, I'm willing to try anything. So then she got into hiking, like climbed Mount Baldy a bunch of times. She did Mount Whitney, which is, what's the stat with Mount Whitney? It's like um, one of the 14, highest. 14,000. 14, yeah. Feet. So that's like pretty gnarly. People train a lot for that. So she got really into hiking. She's had she's done a few triathlons, mm-hmm. and now she, when she moved to Nevada, she's like in the Reno Tahoe area now. She does like she got back into skiing after having like a thirty year hiatus or something <laughs> yeah. like that, right? Thirty years, yeah, yeah. Again, like when I came into her life, she was like, "We're done," <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> So she has gotten back into snow skiing and like, I don't know, what other should you Craig cross, I tried, cross, what's it cross called? Country cross skiing. country skiing. Yeah, yeah I, I started to learn how to do that. Love it. Now I have two pairs of different cross country skis. Yeah. So snowshoeing. Snowshoeing. Yeah. She like goes on hikes even by herself and mm-hmm. kayaking. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kayaking, yeah. Like she just lives a really active lifestyle and has no problem just trying something new. And I think that's something that no matter how old you are, young or old, I think it's really, it's hard to almost be vulnerable and it's hard to suck at something. And that's one thing I really admire about her is that she is so willing to just like suck at something and not even care. And then she has a good time. That's like one of the reasons why I always used to think, well, maybe I'm too old to like try jujitsu, but then I can't ever say that because she is in 62 and has no problem trying everything. And then she's freaking enthusiastic about it. When I suck at something, I'm like annoyed. I'm like, God, so frustrating. <laughs> like, uh, and, and she's just like, Oh, I'm going to try this. And then she like, just does it. Yeah. When I like sort of doing jujitsu, I was like, I just have to channel my inner Sharon so that uh, I'm okay. Just being like, just learning and trying something different that's totally, totally well, new for me. And that's why I think I've stuck with CrossFit because, you know, it's, it's something new every day and a coach is always demonstrating how to do the movement. So I never felt like, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing because they always demonstrate it and they're always there. It's not having a personal coach watching you lift or encouraging you. So yeah, like things like I would have never thought I could get a muscle up at 62 years old. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it, but I was like, Oh, I think I'll try this. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to do it. I think I just did it. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. It doesn't always work like that, but you know, yeah, you have, you have been doing that consistently showing up and strength training and conditioning four-ish times a week, maybe? Oh, yeah. Well, probably, I usually go Monday through Friday, unless something's going on. You know? Yeah, like five days a week for the past quite a few oh, years. Yeah. Eight nine, years. Nine years. Nine years. Yeah. So, and I think that says a lot. And you're healthy, mm-hmm. like really healthy. And I think that's that's one thing that I hope, you know, when we step outside of the, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds or deadlift 300 pounds or 
fit into this particular size, I think there, I, I, I know I've hit this point where I just genuinely just want to be healthy from the inside out, whatever that looks like. I want my blood work to be good. I want my health to be good. I don't want to have to question that. And so we can't always control things at all. But if we can use exercise as a tool to keep us healthy and living a really active lifestyle for the rest of our life, like that's the shit that matters. Right. And that's something that resonated with me that you told me a long time ago about why you go to the gym. You know, it's not so that you can have this body that you're looking you know, to have something of a magazine or whatever, but it's so you do that so that you're able to do the fun things that you want to do outside right. the gym. And that's what it's, it has given me that strength to do all the things I love to do, like skiing. Like I never dreamt I would ever ski again after 30 years. And I said, Oh, I'm moving here. Maybe I ought to take a lesson, see if I can still do this. Take one lesson, bought a whole season pass after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's it's really empowering to feel like you can trust your body to try something, to be able to to try to ski. And because you know that you have a really solid foundation of fitness under your belt, and if we can all continue to age like that, it just gives us a lot more, I guess just like a lot more sustainability with what our body can handle and ability to do the things. And, you know, she when she visits me here, in California, my boys are non-stop humans, <laughs> and she goes and is engaged and plays with them hard, like mm-hmm. non-stop. Yeah, we have our contests of pull-ups or push-ups. Just <laughs> always something. Like <laughs> there's just always something here, and I think it's really valuable. And something I really appreciate is that uh, they get that from her, and they get that kind of attention and her willingness to just play has been mm-hmm. has been a really great thing and i know that's a, it's a huge 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 privilege and we don't we don't take that for granted but well I you think, know not to interrupt but yeah. i'm thinking about what you're saying about you know sustainability so i've seen quotes like i just want to be able to play with my grandkids well you know there's a lot to be said about that because there's a lot of people that cannot at my age, squat down on the ground easily and right. get back up. And I don't know, I, that's why I'm grateful that I am right. staying active. So those are the things I do want to be able to do. I want to get on the ground and play Hot Wheels and right. you know, draw racetracks in the street. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think that it's sometimes I'm, I look at people that are technically my age and I'm like, wow, we live two completely different lifestyles. And And I think just the older you get, the more you consciously or subconsciously almost like compare yourself to other people and you almost get to see like well what does 30 something look like on this person like what is their life like well what does 60 something look like for this person and then what does it look like for me and then you just you kind of get a different feel for how where people are at at different points in their life and what their lifestyle is like and then it either makes you appreciate yours or maybe it makes you want to make some changes to Mm -hmm. your lifestyle and that's all part of our growth and and our ability to just i guess pay attention to you know god life is so short and you know we just unfortunately have so many reminders of that and what can we do to leverage what we have right now in front of us on behalf of the rest of our life so you do all this active stuff life is way different now than it was when you were my age 
And because you have some perspective now and you've, you've been through the shit, you, it's not that you don't have hard things happening now, just different, different kinds of hard things, different season of life. Like what, what do you want to tell a 30 or 40 something year old mom who's struggling maybe with her marriage or for just the season she's in? If I could go back, I would have said, stop Sharon and find out who you are and what you want and really listen to that instead of trying to make it, make it better for this person or that person or your husband or your children, like thinking about where you want to be with your life. Like I didn't give a lot of focus into, well, where do I want to be when I'm 40? Where do I want to be when I'm 35? It was just, I was just so busy surviving. And I think if I could have had a, a deeper perspective it might've made it a little bit easier because I, I don't think that I gave myself enough credit. I had to have a lot of other people telling me, are you crazy? Look at what's happening rather than digesting it myself. I don't know if I'm explaining that. Yeah, right. no, that makes sense. I think that you're somebody who puts everybody before yourself all the time and you didn't even realize who you were until the, like almost like the clouds cleared a little bit. And then you're like, actually, I do like this, or that does sound good, or that is interesting. Yeah, that's a good way. Um, But it literally took Desiree and I leaving for college and things to kind of get boring in your life to say, oh, maybe I actually can try that or do like that. And it's almost like you you discovered this whole new version of, Mm -hmm. of yourself at a much later age than, you know, maybe now our generation is like, you know, twenties and thirties is what you're doing. And it's like such, it's so different being in your twenties and thirties now than it was for your generation. Well, I know. And I, I really respect all the young women I see in the gym that are your age. And, and I think, wow, how, how are they able to do this? That's fantastic. You know, they've got kids, they're coming to the gym or they're bringing them to the gym or whatever. The fact that they're able to take care of themselves, it, it is far different than what I was able to do. And and uh, I just, I really respect that because I know what it took to, to work and, and raise you kids and they're going above and beyond that and taking care of themselves. It's, I really applaud that. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy to do. And that's, you know, something we talk about is like that all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, or excuse me, it doesn't have to be the all or nothing approach. It can be like the all or just something like something you do that where you choose yourself every once in a while and it's not selfish. It's necessary to, to figure out who you are. Like you can keep raising yourself even in the trenches of raising your kids and figuring out who you're, who you're becoming. I mean, I don't feel like I had any clue who I was or what I wanted until like, I really, until like after I had Kate and then things became so much more clear. It was like, Oh, this is what I care about. This is what I like. This is actually how I feel about this. Like you're almost forced into, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out avenues of yourself and there's different life events that happen that create that eye-opening experience, you right. know? And, and I think for me that probably hit me really hard with the divorce. You know, then I, then it was about, okay, all right, new life starting now. Boom. Yeah. What would you tell a mom who is thinking about getting a divorce or somebody whose you know, marriage is ending for whatever reason? 
and they're terrified of what's next of doing it on their own or just feel unsure because they don't feel like they can do it by themselves. Cause she, for context, like never received any child support was totally solo, even despite court orders, like didn't even get $50. Yeah. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of issue there. Yeah. I don't know um, what to tell, you know, because when I was able to, work at home, like I said, I, all I had to do is just work more and work more around the home with you guys there. Like so literally in the morning before we woke up, we heard mm-hmm. the keyboard going. And then at night, up super late at night mm-hmm. when we were at school, just like constantly on her computer yeah. typing. It yeah. was crazy. Right. But, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't really know what kind of advice I would give. Um, well, what kept you going? What kept me going? Yeah. You and Desiree. Absolutely. That that was my sole priority of come hell or high water. You know, these girls are going to have everything that I can possibly give them. I don't want them to feel any different than anybody else. And so, and that's when I said like, then my life goes on the back burner because I, I want them to have so much better of a life than what has happened to me. I want them to succeed and flourish and and I found a lot of joy and pride and happiness in, you know, your accomplishments right down to, you know, if you got an A on a paper or, you know, it was this, the simple things yeah. that, you know, they're succeeding and, and watching that and to see you go on and go to college and not sure if you were going to play water polo. And, you know, I remember encouraging you saying like, don't have regrets, you know, do it now. Don't not do it. And then when you're 40, wish that you would have just do it. And I'm really glad that you did. I thought that brought so much to your life. And, you know, you went on and got your master's and Desiree went on and got her doctorate. I mean, like, wow, like, yeah, really? My girls did this. And then nanny nanny to the person that said, you know, good luck with that. Right. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've said this before. I don't remember where I said this or wrote this, but how you chose to raise Desiree and I, it was like, we never had doubt that we weren't good enough. Like we just really, I think it was because you were so sure of us. You're smart enough. You're good enough. You're talented enough. Like you never made a second guess if, you know, like we, we weren't insecure. And now I can't even imagine being a freaking 14-year-old girl now. Oh, my God. Like, there's, like, you're up against so many variables. But to have a mom that, like, just made us feel like we were really good and really worthy and really, like, there was nothing we couldn't do. Like, you just instilled a lot of confidence that even at a young, weird, the awkward age and stage, I never, we never doubted ourselves. And that carried through till literally today with what Desiree and I are doing. We just have both been very driven and very um, (laughs) stubborn, I guess, in like, oh, I'm going to do something because I decided I'm going to do that thing. And then we did it. And I think that it started with you being adamant about, yes, you're going to do that thing. I believe in you to do that thing. And I think just being able to give your kids that sense of encouragement and belief, it's so important. And I, I do that with my boys because I know how important it is for them to believe that they're actually the best. 
So the irony of this is, is that, you know, my self-confidence is lacking. And that that started, you know, way, way long ago in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And my mother, God love her, but she, she would say things to me. I really think this is where it stemmed from. She would always tell me, now don't get your hopes up, Sharon, because it might not happen. (laughs) You know, that, that type of sentiment. And so I I really think that that has stuck with me why I I sometimes doubt myself, like, I don't know if I can do it. You know, I I drive Jared crazy when I would do the triathlons, like that's too far to swim. I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. And we'd be like, shut up, mom. You're fine. You can do it. Yeah. It is. It is really interesting to see and just like how, how being raised then changes how you in turn raise your kids. Right. Cause I'm like, no way in hell do I want my girls thinking that they cannot do something. Right. No. And you literally <laughs> raised two very stubborn, competitive and pretty happy, successful humans. Mm-hmm. So you did, you did well with that. And I don't know. It's just, it's such a crazy journey to think about where we started, where we've come from. And now, I don't know. It's just, it's pretty crazy to see how things have panned out. And one thing that was really uh, definitely like top life moment for, I think both of us was last summer, I was able to pay for my mom to come to Iceland with, uh, with my family, with the boys and I, and that just felt like this, I don't know, this moment where I was finally able to do something for her that I never, A, like never thought I'd be able to do like logistically, financially, whatever. And that she never ever thought that she would be able to do. And then the stuff that we were actually able to do there (laughs) was, I mean, it was freaking chaos. Like I can't (laughs) believe we went to Iceland with a, Kate was like five and Chance was two. Not even Not two even yet. Two. Oh God. So yeah, <laughs> it was, it was absolutely crazy, but that felt like a moment that was really big for me as a daughter to be able to like be so excited to surprise my mom with that and give her that life experience. Because one thing I know my mom felt a lot of guilt about was that she didn't get to do like vacations for Desiree and I, when we were kids like that just wasn't something that was part of our ability and our lifestyle because there there was no extra money to go right. to you know some tropical island or you know right. like go international or anything like that like that was like never could never happen or even a pass to the water park i remember feeling so bad right yeah. right and so to be able to do that that just felt like this weird full full circle moment where we both were getting something that i think you know, we, we wanted, or I, maybe, I don't even think I realized I wanted that as a kid. And now as an adult, it's really cool to be able to give that to my kids, but it's been better to involve you in that. Oh, I loved it. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Ever. And that, I mean, that also loops into like your fitness and ability to like truly rally with how we planned that trip with like, I mean, we, Oh my God, it was insane. (laughs) Like so much hiking, so much like weird trekking adventures. And I was uh, the most in the rain with two kids and driving like a million hours all over. It was crazy, but it was an absolute adventure. Volcanoes. Oh yeah. All like in, I have a whole um, like highlight on my 
Instagram story actually that you can look at. But I guess just to be able to have these life moments where you think that maybe that ship has sailed or that's not possible for your life or your family. And you just never know. Because I'm sure when you were in the trenches of like the hard, hard years, you could have never imagined being a grandma going to Iceland with your kids, grandkids, you know, like that was so far off of your radar. Right, right. But there's a lot of unexpected shit that... <laughs> it, it really was. And it came up so really unexpectedly. It wasn't like we planned it for... Well, that's how I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Including the trip while we were there. Well, yeah. This is what we're doing today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess just like having that hope of, of knowing that what your life is right now isn't necessarily what it's going to be like forever. And I think that translates into seasons in general, like what our season is like as a, as a new mom or first time mom is probably going to be way different than what it's like when you're a mom for the third time or when your kids are teenagers or then when you become a grandparent, like you just have such a different, like life completely changes. It's hard to see beyond where you're at. Right. And and the other thing, you know, people say, oh, the terrible twos and it just rolls from one stage to the other. Like when I look back at it, it's like, okay, we got through that. But there's always something, no matter what age your kids are at. And he's still. <laughs> right? Yeah, we still have, we still have our drama. Right? And, and, then, and then you become a grandparent. And then, well, I mean, if you're like me, I'm just so interested in what they're doing. And so now I'm, I'm like, well, how are they? And now I want to know about this. And so. Yeah. Yeah, it and never ends. She can deal with their terrible twos and all of that <laughs> with a much better spirit than I can. So, um, let's see. Do I have any other questions here? I know this has kind of been like an all over the place podcast, but I think that you guys are getting a lot of context on uh, on both of us. And I don't know, we hit like a lot of topics. <laughs> what are you most proud of? Of course, I'm going to say of you and Desiree. Okay. Well, what are you most proud of about yourself? About myself? Yeah. Oh, well, that's hard. I feel like you're like, Brianna. (laughs) I don't know what to say, but what I'm most proud of myself, I have no idea. I guess that I've rallied, I don't know, rallied through all these bumps in the road. And and, uh, I don't know, I think I'm most proud that I feel like I'm a pretty happy person despite having some pretty dark days in my life in my way past. So I think being happy is also contributes to your well-being. So I try to have joy in my life daily even if it's just a going out for a little walk or something like something that's going to reel me back in when if I'm having a hard day. So keeping that spirit of joy and happiness yeah, she's like genuinely the most excited person ever. Like like if you ever need someone to like make you feel good about yourself, like just call her. Like that's why like you had all of my friends in high school at, at the house because all of my I had the house where everyone would just come. Like even though we didn't know a whole lot, like people would still just kind of flock there because my mom like made them feel good about themselves and like would have like you know like life conversations and stuff and and I think that's that's something you should be really proud of as you've always been a non-judgmental, very welcoming and genuinely like enthusiastic person. Whenever I have a sale, she just like loses her mind when she <laughs> finds out like, 
like that people are buying it and oh my God, I can't believe this and I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Or or Kate on his spelling test. Like she loses her mind so excited and so happy that he got hundred percent on his spelling test. Then like she'll yeah. quiz him through FaceTime on like what was that one firefighter or yeah. something. Yeah. Like and he got that spell, he spelled it right and like loses her mind. So she's so happy about that. Anything with Jared, like she totally been a cheerleader for every person in our life. And that's something that is a very rare quality is to make people feel good and seen well, and love loved. I love hearing about everybody's lives. Like, and I, I find it interesting and I'm always so happy for everybody. Like if I find out somebody's pregnant, oh my God, I lose my mind. Like, oh, like she really does. Baby. Yeah. She's you know? very happy. She's yeah. like, give me your babies. And that's why your Instagram handle is mom for oh. <laughs> everyone, right? Because I mean, if you sent her a DM and you're like, can I tell you that I'm pregnant or that I'm this or that I'm that? Like she will, she will hold space for you and then she'll also be really excited for you. So, and I think that's, that's something you should be really proud of is yeah, you're really happy, but you also make other people feel like they can celebrate or come to you and, and just feel heard and seen and understood and that you'll like genuinely be there and be supportive, supportive human mom. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this very informal podcast. I'm hoping the sound was okay. It's this computer. There's no mic. We're, we're, it's on a furry blanket. <laughs> it's had a coughing attack. The dog is snoring. The kid is coming out, but this is our real life. And we shared a lot of what life has been like for the past 30 years. So thank you for listening and follow my mom on Instagram. You might get a couple, you'll see a cool muscle up video. You'll see a couple cookie recipes, especially heading into the holidays here and just get a feel for what she's doing with her life at 62. Yep. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really confident about? I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.